I love this series that we are under that really continues the thought of how do we do that in contents under pressure. And we have seen that sign, you see it on tanks, you see it on certain products, and whenever you do that, you know, be careful, this could explode, this could turn out not good, be careful of contents under pressure. Pastor Todd said something last week that I just think we need to remember. Every one of us could wear that sign on our chest, contents under pressure, because that's the life that we live. Certainly our students and our teachers beginning a new year understand the pressure that's going to come in new beginnings and scary moments when you're kind of sorting things out. But not just our students and our teachers, all of us live in a world with pressure and stresses and anxiety. Every age, every season of life, every stage that we go through brings unique moments for us. And the question is, how do we handle these stresses and pressures? There's one pressure that we all share in common, and that is dealing with this horrible, oppressive heat that we're all trying to live through. In fact, did you see the front page of the Dallas Morning News yesterday? It's just this great article. Look at the corner. Summer can take a toll on mental health. Sleep mood suffers amid scorching temperatures. And if you read, that's what the experts tell us, that during this heat, we battle depression, we battle anxiety, we don't sleep as well. In fact, we know when it's this hot, weird things happen. And we just see them go on all around us. I don't know if you noticed in the news last week, um, in Silsby, Texas, it's about 100 miles northeast of Houston, there was a lady on Tuesday last week out mowing the grass, minding her own business, mowing the grass, when all of a sudden from the sky, a snake fell on her, wrapped around her arm and started squeezing. Um, and as if that were not bad enough, she did, what happened, there was a hawk who was carrying the snake. The snake got away, fell on the woman, and again, living through that terrible moment, but it gets worse because all of a sudden the hawk decided it wanted the snake back. So it swooped down and attacked her to try to get the snake back. So she was talking to reporters about what happened, and this is what she said. The snake was squeezing so hard. I was waving my arms in the air, and then this hawk was swooping down, clawing at my arm over and over again. I just kept saying, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> so don't you like that we get to add that to our fear list? Snakes falling from the sky. And I have to tell you, Tony, I have to tell you that if the Grand Prairie Cobra falls from the sky on me, <clears throat> Todd, you're going to be looking for one more pastor because I will not be here. That will be the end of me. Contents under pressure. We live in that world where we know what that's like. So what we're doing is each week in August, we're talking about some of the pressures that we face and how do we understand them and how do we have a strategy to deal with them. So you remember last week we talked about the pressure to achieve. And today we're talking about peer pressure. And automatically we think of students in school as they're trying to figure out who their friends are and find their social support group and the pressure that they find from fitting in. But it's not just for those in school. All of us have this desire to fit in. All of us want to be respected by our colleagues and our peers and the people that we associate with. 
All of us want to be liked. We want to be, have good standing in our community. All of us really do want to have people that respect us. And the challenge is sometimes we can try so hard to fit in, we lose sight of who we really are. And we, we, we know how that can happen. We call it keeping up with the Joneses. When we spend money we really don't have because we want to be like everybody else that we work with or in our social group or our community neighborhood groups. So we need to be careful of peer pressure and how it affects us because sometimes it's so subtle that we're not even aware. And we get a beautiful picture of that in our scripture lesson for today. I think almost the definition of peer pressure. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn now. And we're going to look at John chapter 12 and, and hear verses 42 through 43. John 12, 42 through 43, hear the word of the Lord. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human glory more than the glory that comes from God. <clears throat> Notice where this is happening. It's one week before the Passover, one week before Jesus will travel to Jerusalem and be crucified. And people are all abuzz because he had just healed Lazarus from the dead. And the crowds were talking about, they were astounding of this amazing miracle. And the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees had been carefully monitoring Jesus. And word of Lazarus gets out and they're thinking, oh no, if people hear this, they're going to believe, they're going to see his power, they're very worried. And so they actually, if you read a little before this, start plotting, we need to kill Lazarus. Let's get rid of Lazarus because he's going to witness and people will believe because of what happened. You see, they are desperately trying to end Jesus' ministry. We almost can see them brooding and plotting and scheming. How do we stop this? And then we read this little verse, and we see not all of them. There were some Pharisees, there were some scribes who actually did believe in Jesus. They had listened to him, they had talked to him, they had heard what he was about, they had taken in his message, they were fascinated, they would go and have these late night conversations. We actually see one of them actually will risk his life, Joseph of Arimathea, after Jesus is crucified, he will risk his life to go and find a grave for Jesus to be buried in. There were Pharisees that believed and we wondered, what, what kept them back? You see, on the spectrum of interest to, to belief, to all-out follower of Christ, they were somewhere between believing and all-out followers. But what kept them back from acting on their belief? And I'll submit to you, the word is peer pressure. You see, they believed, but they were worried about what the Pharisees would think. They didn't confess it for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. That if they came forward and followed Jesus in a public way, they would be shunned by their family. They would be cut off from their livelihoods, be wiped out financially. They were terribly worried about what people thought of them. Peer pressure kept them from going public in their faith. And we get the definition in verse 43. For they loved human glory more than the glory that comes from God seems to me it's an issue that we deal with all of our lives. In all of our lives, we have callings that come 
Our, our, our better angels know that God is real and we hear God's call and we want to respond to God. We want to have this big dramatic moment of faith and, and do something big and wonderful for the kingdom of God. Our better angels are constantly calling us and wooing us like these followers of Jesus. But at the same time within us are our better angels calling us to risk and dare for the kingdom. We have our sinful human nature that is filled with fear. They're saying, you better count the cost. This may inconvenience you. This may bring you more than you want to. What are people going to think about you? And we have this tug of war within ourselves. And the question is, how do we work this out? I was thinking back to my own life. When I became a pastor in 1986, I was appointed to the Methodist Church in Haslett, Texas. And when I arrived at Haslett, I was very naive. I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't understand at all about the life of a pastor. And I came with this idea that I really believed in the priesthood of all believers. I didn't believe in titles or formal prescriptions for pastors. I wanted us all kind of to be fellow workers in the vineyard, all fellow servants of Jesus Christ. And that fit beautifully in Haslett. They, had, they were pretty relaxed. They had had a lot of student pastors. They could roll with whatever kind of the pastor brought, and they just loved on me and supported me, and this was going great. I thought, this is a wonderful way to do ministry, until the second year, they moved me to North Fort Worth to a very different kind of church. It was more formal. It was more traditional. It had a very high reverence view of the pastor. So not really thinking what that meant, I went my very first Sunday. We put together the bulletin, and I had the title of my sermon, and then John McKellar, because that's what I went by at Haslett, just John, no titles for me. And so I preached, and we got through that Sunday. Very next day, Monday morning, I had a visitor, Mrs. Amy Flanagan came to see me. Miss Flanagan was 90 years old, and she had a very high view of ministry. In fact, her son was a pastor, Methodist pastor, Cleon Flanagan, and she came in to see me, and she plopped the bulletin on the desk, and she said, young man, I want you to know you are not John McKellar. You are Reverend McKellar, and I don't ever want to see this again. And I had been trained well. So I said to Ms. Flanagan, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and I became Reverend McKellar. I finished part one of my pastoral identity course right there, first day at Trinity. I finished part two the next month. I had just turned 30, and NICA, the Northside Interchurch Agency, kind of like Grace for North Fort Worth, a mission area, was raising money by having a golf scramble. And they'd assigned me to be a part of a group. So I went to this scramble, and I was assigned to three other people my age, young business folk in their 30s. And boy, we just hit it off. The chemistry was good. We were having a lot of fun. And like you do when you're meeting people, they ask me, now what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a CPA. I wasn't lying. I was. I still am a CPA. So I told the truth. And so we played that round of golf. And we had a big time. They were cutting up, and they were laughing and telling jokes. It was wonderful. I was really getting along with the person in my cart, and I thought, goodness, maybe I'm going to make a friend, because I was homesick for my buddies back in Louisiana. We were just having this wonderful time, but invariably, you know what's happening. It came to hole number 15, and he said, now, I know you're a CPA, but where exactly do you work? 
As soon as he asked that, Todd, I remembered a scripture. Remember when Jesus said, if you deny me before men and women, I will deny you before my Father on that great judgment day. And I took a deep breath and I said, yes, it's true, I'm a CPA, but I'm also going to seminary full time. I go to SMU to Perkins School of Theology, and I'm pastoring a Methodist church just a, a few miles from here. And as soon as I said that, it was like I threw cold water on all of our conversations. It got awkward. It got uncomfortable. Everybody just quit talking. The chemistry was completely ruined, and we finished those last couple of holes, and they made a quick getaway. And I got home, and I started thinking about that moment and really reflecting upon it. And deep in my soul, I heard a question that said, John, who are you trying to please? And I made a decision I have followed since July 1887, 19, not 1887. <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. I look good for 1887. <laughs> since July 1987, um, I made a decision that when somebody asked me, I would never deny who I am and who my Savior is and whom I serve. You know, we read this, we read this passage, they loved human glory more than the glory that comes from God. And the question bubbles up for every one of us, who are we trying to please? And as we're talking about peer pressure, that seems like a great place to start with the who. Who are we trying to please? Who, who are we trying to impress? Who are we competing with? Who are we comparing with? Whose lead are we following? Because I know what our students would tell us. Our students would tell us that it is really hard to say no to the crowd, especially if it's a crowd you want to belong to. It's really hard to say no. But you and me, we know that that, that doesn't get any easier as, as you get older. In fact, maybe you remember the story, the true story, uh, a woman several years ago, uh, she was having her 102nd birthday, now granted not born in 1897, but you know, close. Um, she was having her 102nd birthday, it was big doings in her small little town, and so the, the local newspaper sent out a couple of reporters to, to interview her, and one of the reporters asked, she said, ma'am, what is the best thing, what is your favorite thing about having crossed over the century, Mark? Do you remember what the woman said? She had a big old smile on her face, and she said, the thing I love most, there's no peer pressure. <laughs> 102? I would think not. <laughs> Friends, who are we trying to please? Because there's a balance that we got to strike. There, there's a balance. I mean, all throughout this book, there's... There's a balance. From the very beginning, there's a balance. In Genesis, Genesis tells us that, that we need one another. Genesis tells us that it's not good that any of us should be alone. And then uh, a little bit later, Jesus comes along, and, and it's important. Jesus comes along and He sends out the disciples. He sends them out in pairs. He sends them out two by two. There's a, there's a point there. What Jesus was saying and what Jesus was doing was telling us that, yeah, 
We need one another. We need people in our lives. We need folks in our lives to to encourage us and to comfort us and to confront us and to challenge us and to stretch us and to mold us and to shape us and to sharpen us. We need each other. We need folks in our lives and in our lives of faith. But we need to be careful. We need each other. We need folks in our lives, but we need to be, we need to be discerning. We, we need to be careful about who we let into here. And we need to be careful about who we let into here. And we need to be careful about who we let into here. Amen. We need to be careful because you know this guy, you know this guy had at least one buddy who was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Do it, do it, I'll take a picture. Uh, huh. We need to be careful about who we let into our lives. We need to be careful heeding the warning, heeding the wisdom of the Apostle Paul. Paul who said, don't be fooled, don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good character. We need to be careful. Which means we need to ask the Holy Spirit's help. You know I mean, we need to be willing to ask the Holy Spirit to, to come to us and, and to help us out, to, to help us find the, the right sort of friends, to help us find the right sort of peers, to put the right sort of people in our lives who are going to challenge us, who are going to help make us into the people that God wants us to be rather than the people that they want us to be. And, and you know what's a really good test? of that. You know, it's a really good test of our friends. Don't know if we're supposed to be testing our friends, but it's not a bad idea. You know, it's a really good test. Just watch them. Watch how our friends react. Watch how they react, not to our failures. Watch how our friends react to our successes. Are they actually, really, truly, legitimately happy for us? Are they excited for us? Or, or do they turn a little jealous? Do do, do they get a little petty? Just watch them. Just watch how they react whenever we disagree with them. Or when we speak a strong word for Jesus Christ. Just watch. Because you see, that's the thing. That's the thing about, about spiritual maturity. It only comes, spiritual maturity comes when we get more interested in pleasing God than we are in pleasing others. That's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity happens whenever we're more interested in doing the right thing rather than the popular thing. And you see, that's the puzzler too. That's the puzzling thing about peer pressure. Because um, I'm, not, I'm not really sure about peer pressure. I'm not really sure what, I'm not sure what value it actually has. I never thought about it before this week. But why do we get so worried? Why am I? Why am I so worried? Why do I stress out about what my peers think of me? And I started to think about it like this. I know a lot of us, moms, dads, grandparents, I know a lot of us are going to be sending our kids off this week or next week. We're going to be sending our kids off to college. A lot of us are sending our kids off to their freshman year, their first year at college. Lord bless them. Lord bless y'all. Sending our kids away. And I guarantee us that whenever our freshmen get to college, they're not going to be asking their peers, I guarantee us, they're not going to be asking other incoming freshmen what professors to take. No, that's a question that you ask of someone who has a little more experience than you. So who are we asking? Who are we seeking? 
Who are we listening to? I tell us that first and foremost, we need to start listening to God more. The movement of the Holy Spirit, we need to start listening to God more. But secondly, as I that we need to start listening to each other. We need to start listening to those who have a little bit more seasoning on them. We need mentors, each and every one of us. We need a mentor. We need at least one person in our lives who can speak good and godly counsel. Someone who can speak truth into our faith lives and into our family lives and into, into our business lives, into every arena, every area of our life. We, we need mentors, and that's nothing new. Again, it's, it's all throughout Holy Scripture. It's all throughout the Bible. Mentoring. Um, Joshua had Moses, and Elisha had Elijah, and Timothy had Paul, and Paul had Barnabas. You see what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about peer pressure. I'm actually talking about non-peer pressure. And while we're at it, while we're talking about this order, it needs to be working in the opposite way around, too. We need to be paying it forward. Each and every one of us, we need to find someone, some way to, to help out and, and to help guide those who are coming up behind us. Again, you know why? Because Moses had his Joshua. And Elijah had his Elisha, and Barnabas had Paul, and Paul had Timothy. When you start making it work for us, this, this pressure, this people pressure, let's start having it work for us rather than just having it work against us. The who. But then there's also the what. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Ford, our, uh, our younger boy, Ford came to me and he informed me that next year, for his senior trip after he graduates from high school next year, maybe, um, uh, next year when Ford graduates, he told me that he wants us to go for his senior trip. He wants us to go and to climb Mount Rainier. Mm-hmm, thank you. <laughs> that is my year-long prayer request to everyone. Um, and so as you can see, I mean, obviously, as you can see, I'm in training right now. Now let's just imagine under the robe and stole, just, mm, I am in training right now, which honestly, uh, Right now, my training looks like me trying to figure out how to deal, how to deal with the hardship of, of dessert withdrawal and, sh and, and uh, shin splints. Um, that's my training. But you know what? I'm making these decisions. I'm, I'm doing all of this, not because of any outer pressure, not because of any sort of exterior pressure that's pushing down on me. I'm doing it because deep within me, there's a pressure. There's a force deep within me uh, that's driving me. I want to do this for him so I can do it with him. I think it's called determination. I think it's called priorities. I think it's called drive. I think it's called chutzpah. Throughout the Bible, repeatedly, the, the Bible, time and time and time again, it calls itself discipline. It's nothing on the outside, it's, it's within me. And, and so if, if that be true, if just peer pressure, if it's just going to be a reality, if it is an unfortunate inevitability in this world of ours, let's use it. Let's use that people pressure for the good, provoking one another to love and to good works, as the writer of Hebrews challenges us. Us spreading scriptural holiness across the land. You see, that was the hope, that was the dream, that was the goal of the early Methodists in America. Because you see, the, the greatest threat, the, the greatest threat to Christianity today is not the rise of secularism outside the church. 
Now, the greatest threat to Christianity today, at least one of the greatest threats to Christianity today, is actually the rise of secularism inside the church. It's our apathy. It's our dullness, that, that kind of spiritual dullness that we've all just kind of taken to be the norm. It's, it's that squishiness. It's that squishiness that's just so pervasive in too many of our, our faiths. In fact, one commentator put it like this. He wrote, Christianity is no longer life-changing. It's merely life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wild-eyed radicals anymore. He simply changes them into nice people. Ouch. I'm here to tell us that, that all of that, all of that pressure, all that pressure on the outside, all that exterior pressure that's craning down, that's crushing down on us, all that outer pressure, it is nothing, friends. All that outer pressure, it is nothing in comparison to the awesome, the awesome power, the awesome pressure of Jesus' presence within us, Jesus' power bursting forth from us. If we would just tap into it. If we would just determine that we're going to do the right thing at the right time in the right way for the right reason, regardless of the cost. In fact, I'm sure a bunch of us, I bet a bunch of us saw this video this week. It is the, it's the moment whenever a football player up at Eastern Michigan decided to do the unthinkable. Here, take a watch. Has had to pay his way to school for four years. And in the fall, the guy was selling his plasma to be able to pay the bills. We're at 85 scholarships. We have 85 given out. And no matter how many times or how many years I go to the NCAA and say, yeah, but man, I'm just telling you, we need 86. We need 86 because there's any way, you know, that we could have an exception for this deal. The answer is no. You have 85. Until Brian Dooley comes into my office and he said, Coach, that guy has earned it. And I've talked this, this over with my family and, and the whole bit. And if there's a way to make this happen, I am willing to give up my scholarship. That young man, that big young man, felt something, not from the outside. The outside would have told him to do the exact opposite thing. It wasn't an outer pressure. That young man felt something on the inside of him. His spirit, his, his better angels, challenging, daring him, provoking him to do something big, to do something extreme. And did, did you notice? 
he didn't try to argue with it, didn't try to, try to fight back against it, he didn't try to wiggle out of it. He just let the Spirit lead. He, he gave in. He gave in to the awesome power, the awesome pressure of God, and in so doing, he gave out of the awesome pressure of God. The who? The what? And then quickly, the why. Um, this week, uh, the staff, we all went down on a, a staff retreat. I took a staff retreat down to, to walk the hatching. Whenever we were down there, Clint Blaylock reminded me of something, this hilarious thing that happened about 10 years ago. Um, about 10 years ago, we were having a staff chapel, and the, uh, the preacher that we got up and invited everyone who was there, all the staff, to come up and take a rock, and he invited us to write on that rock some some sin, some struggle, just something that we needed to, to turn over to God, something that we needed to, to surrender to God. And once we had written everything down, we walked outside and we threw our rocks into the pond. We threw our rocks into the water as this, this profound symbol, as this sign that we were giving it to Jesus. Throw them into the water. Little did we know that the very next week we were going to drain the pond. We were going to drain the pond. They had to get the work crew in there to fix the fountain back then. Um, so the water went away. The rocks were right there. And I will tell you, you have never seen a church staff more concerned about water levels in your life. <laughs> but just like that peer pressure, the, the who and the what, it has this extraordinary ability to reveal who we really are, to reveal our why? Because you see, friends, we will never, we will never ever change the world by seeking to be like it. But the who, the what, the why, if we can get those three right, then the when and the where, they take care of themselves at all times and in all places, being the very children of God, followers of the way of Jesus Christ. People, people who are making a difference just by being different as we pray. Our Lord, this morning we, we come to you and we confess that, that we have listened to so many voices in our lives. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for, for buckling underneath the pressure the pressure to do, do a, a certain thing, to look a certain way, to say a certain thing. God, we know it's just empty. And even going into it, God, we suspected that it was empty, that it was too good to be, to be believed, but God, we still wanted to believe it. Forgive us. Forgive us for, for listening to the wrong people. Forgive us for listening to the wrong things and turning a deaf ear to you and to your call into your power, into your presence, Lord. We want to do life differently. God, we want to be different so that we can make a difference. And Lord, we know that only happens by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come to us, that you would fill us, that you would take us and guide us and change us and use us, Lord. Use us all and only for the glory of your name because we offer you this prayer as you, we, we offer you our very lives. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app 
and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.